you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Habakkuk in chapter 3 today. We were on the way back from our retreat about one month ago, our, all of our ministers across all of our campuses. We were down at Camp Linden. Many of you have probably been at Camp Linden. And I took a route home that brought me through Columbia. I had not been. Uh, and, and just to be clear, this is Columbia, Tennessee, not the country that uh, this is going on in. hope that was obvious. Um, Downtown Columbia is really neat and growing and um, wonderful uh, place to visit, obviously to live. And so hope you heard you know, the stats that Jay gave there and what we've determined uh, or found out about those that are moving in. Similar around us here. So much to be prayerful about for sure. So we finished our time in Habakkuk this morning. We're going to focus our attention on the, um, the song at the end of the chapter, verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk, after all of this, ends the, ends the book with confidence in God. Text reads, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, though, and there is no fruit. On the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like that of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. I'd like to look at each of these verses together this morning in a bit more detail. We'll begin in verse 16 where Habakkuk says he heard and and then trembled. Lips quivering at the sound, rottenness entering his bones, and this waiting, quietly waiting for when it ultimately would turn sour for those who are oppressing Habakkuk and God's people. Habakkuk is coming to terms with the way things are, accepting the Lord's judgment. I, I read fear into this particular verse, there's some fear coming over Habakkuk here, whether it is uh, our own sin, our own poor choices, or we're suffering from uh, someone else's poor poor choices. Part of living in the already, but not yet. Part of uh, living in this, in this time of waiting on the Lord, um, 
in a world that is not yet the way God would would have it to be is to be able to say what Habakkuk says at the end of this verse. Yet I wait. I will wait. You know, sometimes suffering. Yeah, sometimes suffering is a path to redemption. Uh, Let's say you come upon an animal caught in a trap in the forest. Let's say it's a bear. That'd be startling, wouldn't it? I actually came up on a bear one time in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. I was, I was out for a run with a former student of mine. His name's Will. He's now the, uh, he now hosts the pre and post game for the Titans. Uh, Will Bowling, great kid. Not a kid anymore. He's an adult now. He and I were on a run together and we were in Ridgecrest and we were running up a big mountain because Ridgecrest has big mountains. And there was a big black bear in the road about a hundred feet from us. And, and Will thought there were some ways because he was young and better shape than I am and just generally um, more adventurous than I'll ever be. And he wanted to figure out a way to get around that bear. I did not. And we turned around and ran home because I was the adult and... I had to see his mother later. And I don't know what the Titans would be doing now if we kept going up that hill. <laughs> we went home. Y'all ever seen a bear trap? I, I have now that I Googled them. Um, some of you probably know a lot more about this than I do. I, I've certainly never hunted bears. But anyway, a bear trap, as I understand it, is designed to, to snag the foot of a bear. And um, it's to clamp around the bear's foot. It, you know, the, the more ancient ones have, have teeth that are, that are quite sharp, and they will injure the bear. They will dig into the bear's leg and foot uh, and, and, and keep the bear from being able to, to move. It's a heavy trap, but it's also they're injured enough where they'll, they'll be right where they, where they get caught, and then the hunter can come back later and, and find the bear. These, these types of traps are illegal in the U.S. as I understand it. But let's say for the uh, sake of this sermon illustration that a bear gets caught in one of these traps. And one, someone comes upon the bear who is not the hunter, who did not set the trap. And they have pity on that bear and they want to set the bear free. Well, first of all, this is dangerous because I am pretty sure the bear is going to think whoever's trying to set it free is the person who got it there in the first place and will then eat that person once it's set free or before then. But more than that, well, actually not more than that, because you really can't have more than getting eaten by a bear. But further than that is my real point here. It's that, as I understand these traps, in order to unlock them, to release the bear, you actually have to put more pressure on the trap. You have to push in to get enough leverage to release So actually, to release a bear from the trap further inflicts pain on the bear caught in the trap. So we might say that the bear's path to redemption actually includes more suffering. You with me? This is how life is sometimes. This is what Habakkuk is lamenting and acquiescing to in verse 16. The just... Back in chapter 2 last week, we saw that the just live by faith, the righteous live by faith, and to do so means to serve the Lord in the good and in the bad, in our living and in our dying. Let's look at verse 17 together. Beautiful verse. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no 
fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the, from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. This is Habakkuk accepting scarcity, lean blessings as a consequence of sin. We were with family this, uh, excuse me, we were with family this week for sure, but we were also with friends. And I have a, a really good friend who's from Charlotte, and because he's from Charlotte, he works at a bank, because everybody works at a bank in Charlotte. And he told me, he said, Brandon, I picked a really bad year to have a good year because of the situation with the markets. His good year will not be as good as it could have been, this, this, this scarcity that he is experiencing. I don't know how much experience you, church, have with fasting. We have not uh, put a tremendous amount of emphasis on this in my four years with you, and, that, and, and, and we, we could have, perhaps should have, but, uh, but fasting is, is, a, uh, is a way to think about this. Part of the, the rationale behind a fast is to, to remove things from our life, typically done with food, to, to remove that so that in, in our need for food, in our hunger, we have this, this capacity, uh, greater capacity to focus on the Lord and to, to be blessed by the Lord. In some ways, we were forced into a form of a fast in 2020. Our opportunities to do things were scarce. So much of what occupies our time and attention was, was taken away from us. And it was not necessarily taken away from us because of sin, even though there was much about the COVID pandemic that we couldn't have handled better. But for many weeks, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, this was experience of our family. We just found ourselves sitting around. I remember our family's monthly expenses cratered for a couple of months because there was just not much to do. Read, watch TV, eat, repeat. It was refreshing for many of us, but for many of us, it was as mentally taxing as anything has ever been. The isolation for many was terrible. In Matthew 4, 4, you'll remember Jesus is experiencing temptations from, from the devil Jesus proclaims that man does not live on bread alone, but rather from every word that comes from the Father. He's, he's referencing Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 8, specifically in verse 3, where Moses says, well, God humbled you by letting you go hungry. And it was in this hunger that God's people were, were freed up to understand the, just, just what a blessing it is to hear God speak. And this is the thinking behind fasting. We were with uh, a good friend. I've told you many times on Mondays, we, we spend time, all of our, all the campus pastors together, praying and studying, planning uh, for what we might, how we might approach the, the text. Most of the year we preach uh, the same sermon series. And so the same text each week. And we've had a, a gift for the last year or so. We've had uh, Rodney Taylor with us, who is uh, um, one of our older members in our church uh, on the Brentwood campus, um, who is just a tremendous scholar, his prolific writer, uh, student of languages and of, and of the text, and he's such a gift to have around. And simultaneous with him being with us in those many of those Monday meetings, he's been caring for his uh, for his wife who is who is dying, who is very very sick, and she recently 
entered into hospice care. So we were, we were praying for the Taylors, but we were able to, to pray with him and over him uh, two Mondays ago. And we were talking through Habakkuk as we were doing it. And he, he's written on Habakkuk and he mentioned that he and his wife are, are living it right now. And he was coming at that perspective from this, this angle of, of, of fasting, but it wasn't an intentional fast. It was, it was the joy of his marriage, 50-some years, um, coming to an end in the soon-to-be death of his wife. And he told us that day, he said, Men, I'm living this, and I know that when all we have is the Lord, we discover that the Lord is all we need. It was quite a testimony to hear from someone who was in the midst of as difficult a circumstance as life has to offer, I believe. When all we have is the Lord, we discover that the Lord is all we need. When, when, when our businesses fail, when there is no fruit on the vine, we still have all that we need when our comfort and our well-being is literally stripped away. Not having much leads us to see our need for God. God who is yearning, as demonstrated in Habakkuk, in this back and forth between God and Habakkuk, God who is yearning to speak with us, to speak to us. Verse 18, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Here's where Habakkuk puts into a clear declaration what we have been seeing him building toward. Here we see the blessing of, of what honest questioning can produce in the life of the believer, in the one following, in, in yours in my case, in the one following and being formed by Jesus. Habakkuk has shown us what it looks like to search our own heart, to search our own lives for the deep, deep pain that is there and bring that pain straight to the Lord and in our case, straight to Jesus. As we said last week, it is precisely where we are met by a loving Savior who allows us to see the goodness of God that we just sang of, that God is good and and. And we're going to be fine. And Habakkuk's response to this is, well, it's celebration and rejoicing. And how can one celebrate and rejoice? It's by faith. You know, today is actually the first Sunday of Advent, and you couldn't tell that because we don't have the candles out yet, but we will next week. We're directing our observance of Advent this year to the Sundays in December, but, but today is the, the first Sunday, as it is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. So it's appropriate today to, to look ahead to what we will be celebrating a month from now. So we, we sang, Oh, come on, you faithful, and go tell it on the mountain together this morning. Specifically, look forward to the birth of our Savior. It was the angel Gabriel who visited the young girl Mary with the message from God that literally turned her world upside down. 
turned it upside down. And, and, and by faith, this, this young girl, she believed the message from Gabriel that the baby born to her would be the savior of the world. In, in uh, Luke 1, around verse 45, it's, it's Mary's cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, who extols Mary for her faith. And, and, and Mary, she responds uh, with this song that you may be familiar with, but she responds by saying first that her soul is, is glad, that her, that her heart is, is uh, it's singing praise to the Lord. Mary, Mary's celebrating in the midst of great confusion, great bewilderment. Now Habakkuk's joy, I believe, is similar to Mary's joy. It only makes sense to me that, that Mary's joy is actually wrapped up in, in the much larger work of God, what God is doing. Now, Oksana mentioned, I'd never heard it put this way, God's sovereignty is our sanity. That's good. The, this, this, this much larger work that is going forth, that we don't always have the eyes to see the, the, the full picture, but we trust that that is going on. That God is working in the waiting, as we say. And, and Mary's given eyes to see that even though the darkness may come now, that the next you know, few months in her life will, be, will certainly be scary and confusing and possibly dangerous. That there's darkness now, but joy will come in the morning, eventually. And even though for Habakkuk, that Babylon, the Chaldeans, they, they, they reign now, and will continue to for some time, joy will eventually come in the form of salvation, in, in the God of Habakkuk's salvation, as he says. Vindication for all. Mary's song in, in Luke 1, it, it lifts up God as, as remembering Israel, remembering the people who were set apart specifically to show the world what God was like, who, who, who failed miserably time and time again. But God still remembers Israel. Israel coming to her aid. Look at the progression of Habakkuk in this great book. In Habakkuk's specific communication uh, with the Lord. Chapter 1, well, let's just look at the beginning of each chapter. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is how it starts, if you remember from a couple weeks ago. How long, Lord, must I call you for help? And you don't listen. Or cry out to you about violence, and you don't save. You don't save? It's a question mark. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why, why do you tolerate wrongdoing, uh, oppression, and, and violence are right in front of me? Strife is ongoing, and, and conflict it escalates. He, he, he's, he's really upset and he's express, expressing upsetness emphatically. In chapter two, taps the brakes a little bit on his frustration. He says, I'll wait. I'll stand at my guard post and, and station myself. This is in verse one on the lookout tower. I will, I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And by chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. 
He goes from, from anger, to, he was livid in chapter one, to, to, to waiting, to patience, to, to I'll, I'll, I'm going I'm to hold off here in chapter two. And then by chapter three, he's rejoicing. This is a good word for us all this morning. Maybe don't hit send on that email right away. Just give it a little time. But, but what happens in these three chapters? I mean, what, what's the chronology here? Does God deliver by the time chapter three rolls around? Habakkuk and, and, and his people from the Chaldeans, from the Babylonians? No. That takes a full generation. It takes some 70 years of captivity, which is about to commence. Habakkuk is reminded in this progression that we see here. He's reminded of God's character, God's faithfulness. Habakkuk demonstrates what Mary demonstrates in Luke 1. He, he remembers that ultimately God will make all things right, that God will make all things new, that joy does come. Verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. I believe that last line deserves our attention this morning. God makes us able to walk on mountain heights. Our victory in the Lord is, is greater, so much greater than the apparent victories of, of all the empires and, and, and pagan nations who, who do not trust in the Lord. And, and we must remember this. This was a difficult time in the history of God's, uh, in, in the history of the story of God. A whole generation would have been living in a time where there was complete and utter captivity by a heinous group of people. This stretched their ability to remember. But the Babylonian rise and fall, even though it tarried, as we mentioned last week. It's, it is emblematic of the larger arc of the story of God, the story that we today find ourselves in. The story that we will seek to put into its proper perspective over the next few weeks as we wait together upon that fun and glorious time, which this year we get to meet together on that day. We'll sing, O Come All Ye Faithful again. And he actually will have been born this happy morning, even though it probably actually happened in the fall. That's another, that's another sermon. We will put that story into perspective over the next few weeks. Advent means arrival. It, more specifically, it means the patient waiting upon the arrival, the arrival of a king. The arrival of a king that is sure, and we wait with confidence. And, and, and while we wait with confidence, we, we seek to wait with purity, making good choices, not because we are trying to please God, but because of what God has done merits our love and affection and our obedience. Confidence that God will ultimately vindicate us, save us. Habakkuk's song here in verses 16 through 19, it, it foreshadows it foreshadows what we, what we all know to be how God ultimately defeats sin and death through the patient, enduring suffering 
of his only begotten son. Through the life and and then the death and and then the glorious resurrection of Jesus. He, He looked to be defeated by death only to be vindicated in resurrection. And church, this is what we do here each week together. We proclaim this victory that, that ultimately will, will come. And, and we do so because we know what Habakkuk experienced in his questioning and his suffering. Why was he able to progress from, from anger to waiting to celebrating? There's one reason. Because God was with him. God was with him. He experienced God's presence. Emmanuel, God with us. And that is ultimately what Christmas tells us, shows us. God is with us. God was with Habakkuk, even in his questioning. The answers were not what Habakkuk wanted in the short term. The bear trap pushed into his leg. But he remembered who God is and what God had done. And what Habakkuk had faith, what he believed God would ultimately do. So church, as we look forward to gathering over the next four weeks, will we show this same faith? Will we show the same faith this Advent season? Even in our questions, even in our confusion, will we remember that we are loved, that we are sent and never alone, that that God is indeed with us, God who is alive and well, God who is our strength, enabling us to walk on mountain heights, even as we wait. Let's pray together.